0: We turn to a number of different texts here at the outset this evening as it relates to the third commandment that God has given to us, how we are to rightly revere and keep him separate in our minds and our hearts from all other things, to worship, to trust, and to adore him. Exodus chapter 20, we find the giving of that commandment. Moses on the mountain, God gave. The word, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And then the book of Psalm 99, Psalm 99 And I'll read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come before you tonight and our desire is that above all things, we would with our mouths, with our hearts, with our actions, we would revere you above all. That your name, your glory, your purposes, your promises, your speech would be at the very center of who we are. That we would war against unbelief. That we would seek the challenge, the hearts and mouths of those who would bring low your holy and precious name, that we would be willing to be strange in the eyes of the world as we seek not to keep or not to take your name in vain, but to keep it where it ought to be, to see you as high and lifted up, worthy of worship and prayer and trust That we might evoke your name and invoke it for righteous ends. And so we seek all of these things in your name. That you would work in us righteousness, we pray. Amen. I wrote to you uh, earlier this week as a sort of summary of what I was going to preach on. I, I would tell you that as I try to summarize at times... Uh, what the sermon is going to look like, those summaries are written and published ever before the sermon is finished. And so sometimes those summaries help guide. In fact, I would encourage you, one of the things you ought to do if you ever do some writing is to try to summarize the whole purpose in a thesis statement. That's one of the first things that you do. Now, I understand that as you're writing perhaps even a large paper, that statement changes uh, when you realize, oh, wavy, maybe I've bit off more than I can chew, or maybe I need to expand this into something larger. But what I wrote to you earlier this week as a reflection of the culture in which we live is that we are a culture that takes nothing sacred. Whether it is our understanding of the office and glory of God or even the office And the glory of those who are in authority over us, whether they are policemen or politicians, even our parents. We are a people who uh, seems to treat all things with a kind of casual nature that leads us to disregard authority. And that is not who we are to be as Christians. Now, it's interesting that the third commandment is rightly attached to the fifth commandment. In fact... A good understanding exposition of the first table of God's law, commandments 1 through 4, are reflected in the second table of God's law, commandments 5 through 10. We are to revere, to honor, to trust, to know, to believe, to love the name, that is, the one who has revealed himself as the one true God of heaven and earth. And that we are to bear and use his name well. And we are to see and understand the seriousness of that honor. And also, the inverse of that, blasphemy itself. And so as we look at the third commandment tonight, I want to do so under two headings. The first, bearing and using the name of the Lord well. Bearing and using the name of the Lord well. And then second, the seriousness of blasphemy, the seriousness of blasphemy. Let me maybe use another illustration that's not unlike the one I just used. There was a time in the church where those who would write and copy the scriptures would not even use the same quill to write the name Yahweh as they would all the other words of the Bible. In fact, Old Testament Israel would not even use the name Yod He Vah. I am that I am. They wouldn't even spell it out completely. In fact, they would attribute to that name or they would say that name when you saw the consonants in which all Old Testament, ancient Hebrew is written. There are no alphabet, there are no vowels. They would fill in essentially vowel markers so that when you saw the letters Yod He Vah, you would say Adonai. How do you convey the seriousness of that in the age of texting and Instagram? That's the age we're living in, where if Siri forgets to capitalize the name God, you say, oh, well. This is the age in which we live. Nothing is holy. Nothing is sacred. Or if there are things that are sacred or holy, they're the stuff of earth, the things of earth. They are even at times ourselves. How are we firstly to bear and use the name of the Lord well? Well, the catechism makes it very clear. We are not, we are not to blaspheme nor misuse the name of God. Now, what does that mean? What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is the unholy evoking or incorporating the name of God into that which we ought not. It is to misuse his name. I want you to have the image of a crown, the image of a precious, valuable object. What do you do with that crown when you take care of it? Do you treat it like you would your sneakers? Kids, you know this. uh, To some degree, every Christmas you get a new gift, Or perhaps, kids, your parents have gotten a new car. And what is the number one rule when your dad gets a new car? Don't eat in this car upon punishment of death. It's hyperbole, of course. I hope it's hyperbole. But then about two months into the ownership of this new car, what always happens? There's the first occasion where someone grinds cracker dust into the Floorboard mats, and you know what you say? I'm fighting a losing battle. Oh well. But we have this idea even in our own heads. There are those things that are more valuable. They may not be delicate, but they're precious to us than those other things. God sits at the top of those list of things that are to be precious to us. Like valuable jewels, like a crown. It isn't that we handle it carefully because it is delicate. It might break. That's not what we're talking about. But because it is the most valuable thing that we can imagine. It is beautiful. It is glorious. It is worthy of honor. How much more the name of God. So what do we mean by the name of God? When we read of the name of God when the scriptures speak of taking the name of God in vain, the scriptures are speaking of God who has revealed himself to us and what we know of him. The God whom we see in scripture. The God who led Israel out of Egypt. The God who made all things in the space of six days and calls us to rest and enjoy him. The God who breathed life into Adam and made the woman from Adam. It is his reputation built upon his revelation. In the same way, you know me by a name. I remember when I first moved to Charlotte, I've shared this story before. Uh, Joby is a nickname. It is not my given name. My, My given name is Joseph. But I have no idea who Joseph is. And so when I came to Charlotte, I had an opportunity to make new friends and go by that name. And then I tried it. And it just didn't sit well because within the name Joseph is, well, there's no history. There's nothing there. I don't know who that person is, but I know who Jovi is, and now everybody else does too. And can you imagine trying to call me by a different name? In fact, when my sister graduated from college and started working in corporate America, she said, I don't want to go by Katie anymore. I want to go by Kate. And I said, no. No. I cannot call you Kate. I'm so sorry. I only know you as Katie. That is what we mean by the name of God. It is all that we know of him revealed in his word. And what it reveals to us is that he is the creator of all things, that he is the sovereign, he is the sustainer. And we see not just this concept, this overarching concept, but we see many names that God gives himself that were used by us to understand something about his character, like Yahweh, El Shaddai, these names, El Elyon. We use these names because God has given them to us, and whatever those names mean about God, they are all precious, valuable, holy, and worthy of our right use. Blasphemy is to take those names and to corrupt their usage by, the catechism says, cursing. We all know what cursing is, kids. You know it. You hear it. When someone uses the name of God in a way that it ought not to be used. I don't want to give examples. (laughs) I don't think I should. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And I don't think we ought to think of those things lightly. In fact, it's difficult to hear. Those things ought to grate upon our ears, and they are used constantly by the world. And the offense of them is that there is in fact no real casual invocation of God's name. Anytime you invoke the name of God, there is something serious about it because his name is serious. It is holy and it ought not to be dragged through the mud by our poor understanding of vocabulary or even our selfish intent to express hatred or severe emotion. Oftentimes when this is used, It is used in moments of expressing deep heart feeling. You'll hear it oftentimes used to be damning someone. Well, the great offense is this. Who are you to call upon God to damn anyone? What gives you the right? What gives you the authority? In fact, you have no authority And many regard that phrase not seriously, but think about what that means. That God would damn any. In fact, the desire of the saint would be that God would show grace. For we have been shown grace. Not only cursing, as the scriptures forbid us, but also perjury. Perjury is the exercise whereby we invoke the name of God to make sure that we are telling people we are not lying. You see this in a court of law. Or you see this when people are sworn into office. The hand is placed upon the Bible and they say, as God is my witness, I will tell the truth. This is serious and it ought to be done. We ought to swear by the name of God in certain circumstances. In fact, when you go to a wedding, that's what's happening. When you enter into a covenant with another person, within the covenant of marriage, you are saying, as God and you people are my witness, are our witnesses, we will fulfill our vows. Divorce is perjury. It is a violation of the third commandment. Not just thou shalt not commit adultery but it is also a violation of the third commandment when you make vows to a church and you do not keep those vows that is perjury when you take vows to perform an office when those who are in leadership over us violate the constitution they're committing perjury when you make promises even even if they are casual i promise mom i promise Do you not realize that when you say, parents, I promise, you are making that promise not only to them, but to God. And when you break that promise or have no intention to keep it, you are committing perjury. It is related to the next point. Unnecessary oaths. You've done this. I just said it. I promise. The scripture has a lot to say about that. In fact, if you turn to the book of James, God would have us speak differently. In the book of James, I lost my... Marker, all right, here it is. James chapter 5, verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. One of the things I learned early on as a husband was not to tell my wife, I promise I will do that thing around the house. Because invariably, I did not have the time or skill or intention to do it. What was I trying to do? I was trying to score bonus points with my wife. And you know what happened when I did not keep that promise? I ended up in the red. (laughs) I should have just done it or not done it, but never said anything about it. How often do we do this with God? Lord, if you would but do X, I will do this. We know of the famous story of Martin Luther, where he makes an unrighteous oath to one of the saints, St. Anne, I believe, as he is out on the hillside, the lightning is coming down, and he makes a vow to the Lord through St. Anne, which is blasphemy, by the way. If you would just do this, Lord, if you would preserve my life, I will join a monastery. Now, obviously, he received forgiveness for that. The Lord did not save him because of such an unnecessary oath. He was delivered, nonetheless. What we must see is that we live life under the lordship of God. And we ought not to evoke or, I'm sorry, invoke the name of God when it is not necessary or right. And not only are we not to blaspheme, but when we see other people do it, we should not stand idly by. In fact, we read, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Catechism sort of, It's like a gut shot. We give tacit consent and thereby enter into the sin of blasphemers when we hear it and we don't say anything about it. Children, y'all are good at this. (laughs) The thing that adults are often afraid to say. Oh no, they said a bad word. And kids, you often say, you said a bad word. In fact, in my house, my six-year-old always calls them D-words after the D-A-N-N. All bad words are the D-word. Oh, no. They said a D-word. That's her turn. I don't know where she hears them, but she hears them nonetheless. It's impossible not to hear it. In fact, oftentimes, shows and entertainment is given a pass. They can use vulgar language. They, cannot, they can use vulgar language. I'm sorry, they cannot use vulgar language, but they can curse. You hear it all the time. I remember my wife and I tried to watch a TV show one time, and I think in the first five minutes of the show, they curse. They took the Lord's name in vain 10 or 15 times. It just, I can't take it. Click. We cannot stand idly by. Now, turning off the TV isn't really doing anything about it, is it? It is in some fashion. We don't want to turn that on in our house. We don't want to hear it. But the form that it takes now is the proactive confrontation of blasphemy. And where do we see blasphemy? We see it everywhere. In fact, the whole mission of the church is to teach the world how to use the name of the Lord rightly This is what Hosea was teaching Gomer. And the Lord was teaching Israel through Hosea and Gomer. In fact, the Lord speaks in the book of Hosea that God will remove the name of Baal from our mouth and he will put his name in our mouths. In fact, the entire work of missions is unto the end of giving to the world a right use of the name of God. That is what worship is. It is to use the name of God rightly. And when the world sees us worshiping, do you know what that is as a means of grace to the world? We are teaching and training them how to lift up the name of God. That is the protest we have against unrighteousness. And we cannot stand idly by. If we are not engaged in the act of teaching the world the danger of blasphemy, the offense of blasphemy, we are failing to fulfill our mission as a church. And not just as a corporate body, but you have that responsibility as well. Well, And you know what will make you courageous to share the whole gospel? Those little moments where you say, you shouldn't do that. I don't want to hear that garbage. Don't use that language. Not just in my presence. But God hears it. He made you to worship Him, to love Him. Parents, do you ever wonder, I wonder what my kids say about me when when they're with their friends. (laughs) Kids, have you ever criticized your parents, spoken harshly about them, gossiped about them in front of your friends? That is the tendency of the world. It is to speak harshly, with irreverence the name of God. Not only that, but we are to use the name of God in holy fashion. The way we do this is by prayer. We call upon him. If God is holy, if God is sovereign, if we believe what God has said about himself, then we call upon him in prayer and we seek his favor and help because he is the only one who hears and answers. We worship Him. That is the active lifting up of the name of God. What we are doing in worship is we are corporately, using that language and illustration again, lifting up the crown, holding up the name of God. And when the world sees us doing this, they're going, what in the world are they doing? The world is doing this to themselves. It's an ironic image, isn't it? (laughs) We worship the name of Christ. We worship the name of the Father and the Spirit. A huge chunk of worship is devoted to exalting the Lord. And part of that that's related to it is our confession of sin because we're saying, we haven't lifted up your name as we ought. And so we lift it up as we acknowledge that God is a God who forgives our sins. Our lives are to be spent... Finding ways to exemplify, to exhibit the glory and honor of God. And we can do that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, even when we're not here in worship. We are to invoke the name of God, we are to cry out for help. We are to understand that he is holy. In fact, turn to Psalm 50. In Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We are to say, I am yours, you are mine. Wherever you send me, whatever you say, I will go, I will do. These are the vows that the psalmist is speaking of. Not vain vows or offensive or unnecessary oaths. We vow to the Lord. In fact, every Lord's Day worship, we call it a covenant renewal ceremony. Where we who are lesser admit of the greater, you are God. We are men. You tell us where to go, what to do, what to believe, how to feel, what to say. We receive our directives from him. We are to trust in the Lord with all our heart. To surrender to his lordship as high king of heaven and earth. To seek his help, to worship his holy and awesome name. As Paul would say in Romans 9, you are the clay, he is the potter. You need to learn to think that way. The opposite of blasphemy is honor. It is submission, trust, obedience, worship. It is a high regard for the righteous one of Israel. And it is a hatred. It is a hatred for that which brings him dishonor. And it is a desire to see those who blaspheme become those who worship. And in fact, this is where we see the heart of Christ's mission on earth. Christ came to transform blasphemers into worshipers. What was Saul? What was he? He was one who mocked the name of Christ Jesus. What do you think Saul felt as Thomas the deacon was... was murdered, stoned. Now he was accused of blasphemy. Who <laughs> was right? Paul would learn. Saul, 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 Saul. Thomas being stoned. What do you think he was thinking? Good. Good. Let him die. I hope it hurts. And Saul encountered the Lord. And his heart was transformed. And he was told by God, once you brought suffering and now you will suffer much for my sake. And he would later say, I count it glory to suffer for the name of Christ. He was transformed. All because Christ saw that we were, in our very hearts, unwilling, unable, undesiring to worship God as we ought And the seriousness of that sin is represented in judgment. And that leads me to my second point. Let's move quickly through this one. The seriousness of blasphemy. It may make you uncomfortable to read. Question 100. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all that they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. All right, so in order to understand why it is so serious, we need to get the heart again of what blasphemy it is. It is to reject God's revelation of himself. Chiefly, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ who came to save sinners. If you reject God's revelation that culminates in the sending of his Son that is ministered and communicated by the Holy Spirit, you go to hell. I'm not saying you should go to hell. I'm saying that's what happens. That is the effect of blasphemy. And this is why we often speak of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as the only unpardonable sin. It is to die refusing to receive Christ as Savior to receive the revelation of God the Father that culminates in the gospel, you are saying no to all that God has said. I do not believe it. I do not trust it. I reject it outright. Recently, I listened to a debate between a a Christian pastor and theologian and a fairly well-known atheist, though he's not well-known to me. I'm sure he's well-known to someone. And some people. He's part of the American Atheist. You know, they have these organizations. I don't know what they do except gather together and talk about what they hate. But he asked the pastor, the Christian pastor and theologian, "Um, give me an example of what blasphemy is. Because I want to do that. Uh, Tell me what blasphemy is. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you an example. And I'm not going to show you how to do it. Why? Why? Because the pastor and theologian was being faithful to not help in this sin. The world is helping each other in this sin. That is what Romans 1 is. The suppression and exchange of the revelation of God is a cooperative attempt to give God the fist in the air and say, No, we will not worship. We will reject your authority. And they look at one another and say, we're in this together, right? Until they're not. And there have been many who have been softened by the Spirit and they have come to believe and they have fallen on their face and they have pleaded with God for forgiveness and God forgives. But to remain in a place of hardened sin And rebellion against the authority and the revelation of God is to welcome destruction. It is the rejection of the Lord of life. And in the Old Testament, it was punishable by death. And many say, well, that's harsh. Well, it is still punishable by death. It is punishable by the sentence of eternal damnation of the human soul. Now, it has always been that way. And things have changed to some degree since the revelation of the Old Testament and God's institution of authority in Israel and the coming of Christ. We see patience. We see opportunity offered in the ministry of the church to those who are those who blaspheme, that we might seek their conversion. But the fact of the matter remains. To blaspheme God is to reject the only one who is able to bring deliverance to what is already true of us. We are dying. Can you imagine? Parents, maybe this has happened with your child. Something has happened. Maybe they're thirsty. They're moody. Maybe they're so hungry. They cannot do anything except wail. And you bring to them the very medicine, the the sustenance that will help them, and they just swat it away. They are enraged. They are insane. And you come to them and say, this is what will help you. This is the means by which we take the name of Christ into the nations and we say, he is the one who will help you. Some will hear and it will be word of life. It will they will believe it and they will be saved some will hear it and it will be it will be like nails on the chalkboard of their hearts they will reject it outright and they will curse god and curse you for it but we may not remain silent because the world is even now actively heaping judgment upon itself And we must go to the world and we must say, stop, change your tune, sing the name of Christ. Because the heart and life that pleases the Lord is the one who learns to use the name of God as it has been given to us. Our mission, not only for ourselves and for our neighbor, but the world around us, is that all might sing the glory and honor of the name of the Lord. To declare that he is worthy of trust, to listen and to obey his word, and to embrace Christ as the one who is revealed from the Father, the only savior of sinners. Let's pray.